Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Watchmen on the wall, bringing forth the written word of God to one and all. Are you getting ready? Will you stand or will you fall? Listen to the watchmen on the wall. Listen to the watchmen on the wall. Listen to the watchmen on the wall. Rise and shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. A new day has dawned. All over the earth, men and women are arising. It's time for the sons of God to awake. It is a day of justice, recompense, Restoration, revival, and resurrection power. Gentlemen, this is Vincent Xavier, pastor of New Wine Ministries. It's an honor and a blessing to be with all of you today. On the screen, I have with us Brian and Kathy, all the way from Honduras. I've dressed well for them today. How are you both doing? Muy bien, gracias. You know, you sent me an email or text yesterday, an email that said, Tara bandese botura bashanda, something like that. And then you said, that means, yup. How do you explain that? That's a good day. That's a good day to have lunch. You know, I was just reading an article on on the way out here. I'm so glad you two are with me today, and I'll tell you why. Uh, Today is a great time for, uh, you know, temper, uh, temperament, and we need to remain tempered. And right around right now, if you were not with me on the air, I would just absolutely let it rip uh, about the absolute... Oh, you're ready. Good. Got a sister in the Lord. I heard your testimony. I said, we sound an awful lot alike. But um, same experiences to a degree. I'm serious, though. I I just am looking at things and the smug looks on CNN, um, the 
injustice, the deception, the trampling. I mean, I have lost personally all respect. I have zero respect for the American government, for the American system. And I thank God that I am connected to another government with another king, with another system called the kingdom. And I operate in that. But as an American or living in America, um, you know, Israel, the patriots of uh, Israel, you know, they, they got really stirred up by some things and they thought they were going to win some stuff. But uh, quite frankly, patriotism is not going to pass it. But boy, do I feel a little just thanks for being with me today. I mean, you know, I didn't want to come on. It's like I was going through some stuff that I just knew that I knew fellowship would be good for me. You know, and yeah. so I with another um, believer, you know, and uh, it's just really refreshing. So I made myself, I pulled myself up and uh, got here. And I'm really glad to be here. It's funny how, you know, it can be so different. But it's not good to be isolated is all I can say, you know. For a long period of time, it's good to be one on one with the Lord, but, but isolation, God says, do not forsake the fellowship of the saints. We need each other, you know, in these times. As slowly our uh, faith is deteriorating in, in the government, if we even have any faith in the government, but, you know, we've, we've been aware of this, like you, I think, for many, many years prior. You know, I don't know, it was Brian, it's like we just, you know. Yeah, I, I hear your heart. And w- without the Christian fellowship, without breaking bread last night, let me let me just kind of flip the coin here. Uh, we had a, a meeting last night in a home, and I happen to believe that the glory of God is going to be in the homes. I think the day the big church and the box and, the, you know, all of that, not as a criticism, but as an observation. We had probably maybe 25, 30 people gathered into a home. The worship went on. The joy of it was like a whole different environment than what we are finding, you know, just day to day living in this world. And the gathering together and the joy of the Lord and we prayed and we anointed with oil and healings were going forth and we gave testimony. And I mean, we had a magnificent time. And then the word of God came out. We were uh, sharing the word and everybody had something to share. And what a glorious environment. And then you know, you, you look at these things that are going on in this country, which used to be a Judeo-Christian nation, and you just, I, I tell you, there's a temperament, and maybe that's the wisdom of God in the book of Revelation, Brian, where he says, you know, here is the patience of the saints, because there's something provocative right now that, you know, may cause us to get involved and say some things or do some things um, that could get us in a little bit of trouble. What do you think? You know, that fleshly man is, is, you know, we can count him as dead, but he sure does want to be resurrected sometimes, you know. And, and of course, when he does, we just repent. You know, if I do, I catch myself sometimes in mid-sentence or mid-tweet. I'm like, fucking stop. Yeah.
Well, that's so well said. And so with the righteous indignation, we stand back and say, okay, so what do I do with this? And quite frankly, I, I think we've run out of uh, time for, you know, being emotional and being frustrated and, you know, yelling at the news television, you know, and, and the newscasters. And the only, the, the thing that I can't figure out, <clears throat> and I guess maybe I'm discerning this by the spirit, um, is why it's taking so long for the people that love this country to do what the founding fathers told them to do, which is to unshackle themselves from this kind of government and to create new guards. And the time of talking, well, every, you know, people are just continually going to prison. People are being arrested. If you were in Washington, D.C., et cetera, et cetera, they're striking fear. And so when people become silent, that's a sign of them gloating over, look, we've terrorized you people. You're now afraid to speak. <clears throat> you're running. You're hiding. We're taking the dominion. And <clears throat> you're just waiting for the people in this country to rise up and say, hey, <clears throat> this isn't going to work anymore. This is not the way things are done. And it almost wants to promote an idea of what we need to do is gather together. Because what they're doing is they're plucking people off one by one. They're breaking into people's homes in the middle of the night, and they're breaking their doors down, terrorizing people, handcuffing them, and taking them to jail. Or they're questioning them, and they're looking through their home, and they're invasion of privacy, and they pluck you off one by one. And what needs to happen is some kind of gathering against this kind of political movement. But then, guys, we stand on the outside of this looking in going, this is just judgment. This is judgment. But it's a very tricky moment. It's a very tricky moment. Please. I think, yeah, I think a, a big part of the problem is, is this division, this calculated, very, very intentional dividing of people within our country. It's, you know, it, you would think almost that it began with the murder of George Floyd, you know, and, and the Black Lives Matter movement in Antifa, like it just suddenly went, quote, just sprang up out of nowhere. This has been a very, very calculated plan, at least since 1960s. So there's a, there's a guy, I think I talked about this once before, I wrote about it or something, but there's a, there was a, a, an FBI agent named Leon Skousen who infiltrated the FBI, the, the American Communist Party, during um, in the 1960s, or the late 50s, early 60s. He gave uh, a statement to Congress in 1963, and he illustrated it was a,
thought he was well, well, they thought that he was part of the Weather Underground and he and Bernadine Dorn would have been done life in prison for doing bombings and things like that. And they got off on a technicality. So what happened is everybody in the United States freaked out over what was coming with about communism. And that's kind of, that was the, the impetus that got us into the Vietnam War was, you know, preventing the spread of communism into the rest of the world. And, um, and so while, while most of the Christian, conservative, patriotic people said, you know what, I've got to serve my country, they went into the military, and they went into government, and they went into law enforcement, and all that, the, the, the kind of first-tier basic things that you would think like a person would want to do, if I want to help my country and solve this problem, this is where, where I need to go, and that's what they did. And what the leftists did, the communists did, was they went into education. And so you had Bill Ayers, who actually went to Columbia University, he ended up getting a master's degree, and he was responsible for adjusting. You've seen some of these curriculum changes. Like when I was a older kid, we had the new math, and everybody was freaking out about the new math. And then, then we had Common Core, and now we have critical race theory that's come in, and it's been this continuum, and it's been very progressive. And, uh, you know, Bill Ayers specialized in curriculum. That's what he did. I mean, he's not the only person, it's not like he was the grand so to speak, it wrote all the curriculum for the country, but he, re- he represented that mindset, that movement, and he wielded a lot of power. And then he had a lot to do with, you know, with Barack Obama getting elected, or something to do with say a lot, because that's a question. But he was involved, you know, he was implicated. And it was that camp was with those people with that mindset that has been, they've been driving this for a very, very long time, you know. And, and um, the other thing that I was thinking the other day, you know, we've heard, another species of some kind of living organism that they in the sea that they found that you could cut it to a billion pieces the thing just reforms itself and comes back again um every every nation going all the way back to however many wars when injustice was there the war and sometimes it was a just cause and sometimes it was not a just cause there's always some manipulation but go back to world war ii one friend of mine told me well if the americans 
stepped in and they hadn't gone to war with Germany or German right now, and we would have been taken over. So there's always a time for, you know, that righteous revolution that goes out to stop the injustice. Um, we, we're hearing a story about a man who drove his car and killed six people. A little child in the hospital died last night, being the sixth. And one man said that the heart of America was broken. The heart of America was broken. And uh, it was interesting. I woke up this morning. I want to get into this with both of you. Um, in, in my little bit of a commentary before this passage of Scripture, tears are defined simply as drops of salty fluid flowing from the eyes. They can be caused by irritation or laughter, but are usually associated with weeping, sorrow, and grief. When we cry, friends wonder what's wrong and try to console us. Babies cry for food. Children cry at the loss of a pet. Adults cry when confronted with trauma and death. Jeremiah's grief ran deep. He is remembered as the weeping prophet, and his tears flowed from a broken heart. As God's spokesman, he knew what lay ahead for Judah, his country, and for Jerusalem, the capital, and the city of God. God's judgment would fall, and destruction would come. And so Jeremiah wept. His tears were not self-centered, mourning over personal suffering or loss. He wept because the people had rejected their God, the God who had made them, loved them, and sought repeatedly to bless them. Jeremiah's heart was broken because he knew that the selfishness and sinfulness of the people would bring them much suffering and an extended exile. Jeremiah's tears were tears of empathy and sympathy. His heart was broken with those things that break God's heart. And so I think about this, and this is the only truth I know right now, uh, because we're not a I'm not a Republican. I'm not, you know, none of those things. I'm a human being created in the image and likeness of God. I've been born again. I love Jesus. I love the kingdom. I love the word. But I live in this country, and I see the injustice, and I see that in every other society around the world, when there's injustice, just people stand up and do something. But there comes a time when justice will not be served by the people against the injustice they see. There comes a time where a nation or a people cross the point of no return, and the only justice that will be served is the justice of God's divine judgment. Now, Jeremiah knew this, right? I mean, he was weeping because he knew. I mean, it was frustrating. The patriots were trying to get it done. The politicians were trying to get it done. The priests were trying to get it done. The false prophets were trying to get it done. They had all these mechanisms trying to save the day, save America, you know, save Jerusalem. And yet one man said, he's telling everybody why. And this is Jeremiah today, the spirit of Jeremiah. You're, you've crossed the point of no return. America... You will never return. You have crossed and you will be broken. But the cry of Babylon is deeply rooted in America today. The cry of Babylon is, we will see no sorrow. There will be no trouble. We are undefeatable. I sit a queen in heaven. And yet God says, one day, in one hour, your devastation and destruction is coming. I just kind of think we're at that moment of the weeping prophet broken because of what's going on in our society. It wasn't like this just a short time ago. Speak into that, please. We were just, we were just talking about that with our friend in the UK. He's an expert on this group on his podcast sometimes. And he it's the same thing. And he just did a podcast called Killing Our Lament. And it was all about the fact that, you know, um, 
Absolutely right. Um, going back to Jeremiah, I think maybe Holy Spirit wants us to talk about this man. Uh, obviously, he wept because he had the Father's heart in him. And um, I don't know how patriotic he was for his nation. He was an Israeli. Um, you know, he was a man that was part of something that was so connected to God's heart and uh, probably loved his country, really loved his country probably appreciated the values of the past and all the history of the prophets and, you know, the greatness of Abraham and all of the temple and the worship and the Torah and the book. And, you know, that was very concentrated and maybe it became a part of him because they felt that their society and their nation was connected to the father's will and intent and purpose. And some people used to believe that America was part of the will and, and, and purpose and intention of the father's heart as a Judeo Christian nation that there were similarities about how this nation became 
and how Israel became. And um, I like in the beginning where the climate of the times when Jeremiah began to prophesy, society was deteriorating uh, economically, politically, spiritually. Wars and captivity dominated the world scene. Uh, God's word was deemed offensive. Um, and, and so you go on into his life. And um, here's, here's a, a young man that is speaking into the ills of his society uh, with, a, with a mandate. If you don't, I'm going to embarrass you in front of everybody. He was apprehended. And um, I just think these are you know, the moments where the voice of people that are really understanding the times. Like, Father, what are you thinking right now? Are you just angry? You know, Jeremiah at different times in his writings First, he's like, God, what are you doing? This is Israel. You know, I, I'm so sad that you're, you're wanting to, you know, what? And then God shows him what Israel's doing, and he gets angry. He says, God, go take them out. Go and take them out. I can't believe what, because he didn't see the levels of evil. And so he's on this, uh, this, this transformation going on in his life as well. And right now, you know, it's, it's our response uh, we who have the spirit of the living God, what is our response to what we're seeing right now? Ah, I don't care. You know, it doesn't matter to me. Uh, no, it doesn't even break my heart. Um, you know, I don't know what the right response really is, but I, and you don't want to get angry just because it's a earthly horizontal thing that you're dealing with. Um, so what is the heart of the father right now? He's already told us years ago, America has crossed the point of no return. She will be broken. It will be destroyed. America's end has come. Prepare the people. Don't pray for the nation. I'm not going to listen to your prayers for the nation. He told Jeremiah that. Don't pray to me about these people. I'm not going to listen. And so what I want you to do is get people ready for the collapse that is coming. And I don't know how many people sided with Jeremiah and walked through the rubble as he did in the book of Lamentations, but it sure does feel that way right now. And so what would you say the proper response is to this moment in this earth and in this country? Well, as we were talking earlier after this whole conversation, I'm thinking, okay, as believers, we know that nothing happens whether God causes it or allows it. And so we're seeing a progression of our country and the world go down this dark, dark path. And um, so, so as a Christian, it's like, so God's in control, and if you read his word, you know, and he says that, you know, abundant life and, and walking in the spirit, joy, peace, and righteousness, and the Holy Ghost, and in the midst of all this stuff. And so God's will, this is his judgment. So not only do we lament, and there's people that are called to be intercessors, but also we can't lose our joy because we have to have our eyes to the Christ. You know, you run this race with their eyes on the Christ, and um, now, now how we do that is like it's what you're asking. And you know, we've had a couple kids go down a dark road of drugs and jail, you know, addiction, and we had them even when we were running our halfway house with inmates. Uh, we even had our sons come from jail and come back as a Clients, right? We're living in our house to rebuild his life. But and so when they we watch them make their choices, and so when they make a bad choice and say I'm done, which most addicts have 
you're, you're provoking a thought in me, and and uh, I'm sorry, to, I'm sorry to interject the thought. Why did Jesus? And thank you. Why did Jesus, when he was on this earth, the man Jesus, contending uh, not with the Roman Empire but the religious Pharisees and scribes of his day? How did he get to that point in his heart where he took the whip and he corded it up and he went through the temple and he showed aggression? Or when he was dealing with the scribes and Pharisees, he says, you know, you're a, you're a brood of vipers. You are hypocrites. I mean, he got to a place of speaking the truth. And sometimes, I mean, his aggression really did show up. I mean, what was provoking that? What do you, what do you see behind that? So, okay, let me get it out, and then I'll stop. I will say another word. Um, There's enough people in this country right now to go to Washington, D.C., and fire everybody, remove them, get rid of them, and do whatever it takes to stop the nonsense that's so in your face, right? I mean, there are enough people that love this country, that care about it, that are tired of being lied to, tired of being threatened, by the forces that are out there. And these forces are like Isaiah 14. People will look upon Satan narrowly and say, you're the man that shook the nations. I mean, you look at Jerry Nadler and you look at these people that are in control using this power against American citizens. And you would just think that, you know, there's enough people to say enough is enough We're, and, and go and take care of this business. But I, I kind of feel at times that's what Jesus was like. Um, but he wasn't there to save. Obviously, he was saying, you know, in 70 AD, you guys are going to be destroyed. And this whole thing is coming down, and yet he had the power to save it. And I, I won't say another word. Please speak it. He had, a, he had the power to come down off the cross and, you know, and take names and become the person that his disciples wanted him to be, which is what, you know, guys like Simon Markova tried to be. They, you know, they thought he was the Messiah in, you know, in Markova's rebellion when he tried to take, you know, after Jesus was crucified. And, and um, but, but it's, it's that God's ways are not our ways and his thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are higher than our ways and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And, and everything that we consider, what the world says is the way to win and dominate is the kingdom of heaven is upside down from that. You know, it's, it's the reverse. And, um, I, I, I sometimes think I can kind of almost grasp it, and then it just slips through my fingers <laughs> to be able to articulate it. But, but it's, you know, it, it, if you think about, one of the things I've noticed is when you look at how the devil works with politicians, they want to find dirt on somebody. And so when they're going to get elected, a lot of times they conceal things from their past, right, and hope that nobody finds out. And then somewhere along the line, somebody finds out about it, and they use it to blackmail them and compromise them and get it to do their agenda. So, you know, everybody has got things that they're ashamed of in their life, no matter what, you know. And so, and, and, and what you find is, these, especially I see on the Republican Party, which is absolutely useless, and all I can imagine is, like, these people go in with the greatest intentions, you know, and I, I can't believe every single one of them is going in there with diabolical plan to go in there and to lie to everybody and get in there and then just like just throw the rest of the country out of the bus as soon as they get in. But 
out there and again I, I'm, I'm just asking questions this is these are hard issues for me right now um, the very declaration of this nation and the very constitution of this nation says that the people of the country we the people of the United States have the right have the authority and a lot of people said that the founding fathers many of them had a, uh, a Christian ethic they were they were God-fearing men there were many deists and all those things and um, they had fought to establish a republic to give it to the people so it would be a new way of governing things. Um, and that if ever you see your government go into this crazy mode, well, you, the people, are now authorized to do something about it. And I'm not saying go in and shoot people, behead people, kill people, but there should be at least 80 million people in this country 
that would go and do something about what's happening right now because it's getting very ugly. And when your own government begins to strike fear in you, well, there's a whole history of nations like that, right, Brian? I mean, mean, one nation after another had evil men and governmental powers, and they incrementally did it until the people couldn't rise up and fight anymore, and then they were subjugated. And you kind of get that really eerie, weird sense that's what's going on right now. And I think about Noah, I think about Jeremiah, I think about Jesus, and I, there's probably many other examples, but they all continued to speak righteousness unto the very end. I mean, Noah preached righteousness until the day he entered into the ark and God locked him in. Jeremiah preached all the way through his message and then wept as he walked through the rubble. Um, so we should have a voice to say some things, but now what we need to do is shift into what God really designed us to be on the air for. And that is, you just said it out of your own mouth, out of your lips, you spoke, it's too late. And there are a lot of people that have the heart of the Father that are saying the same thing. It's not a popular message, but we've known it for a long time. It's too late to bring the reform. That's why the things we could do are not being done. I believe that with all my heart because it is too late. So, What we need to be doing the day before Thanksgiving, by the way, is giving thanks to our Father and preparing to meet with what he's revealing is about to happen in this country. And you have Bill Gates telling us that there's going to be a second pandemic. 
and it's probably going to be with this other virus. And you have other people, and these are the upper echelon, the big ministries, big names. These are people that have been in it for a long time. And they're saying there's going to be a lights out. I mean, the lights are going out. And there are going to be soaring gas prices. There's going to be soaring food prices. There's going to be a difficulty buying things. And if they're there, they're going to be too expensive. And then the supply chain problems. And you're, it's almost like what Dimitri Dudeman said, that your problems in your country, the day that you need to look for is when there's an internal strife that begins to break out between the blacks and the whites. In other words, Dimitri Dudeman knew that the communists, and going back to the 10 planks of communism and all those different things that uh, you were talking about earlier, um, the whole idea was to stir up the blacks, to get them angry, to create an environment. And then Dimitri Dudeman said, this is a communist tactic. And while everybody's trying to quell the problems within, and the government's trying to deal with governmental problems within, that's when foreign nations would come. Now we're hearing about China boasting a... A, a weapon that travels five times the speed of sound. All, everybody's shaking their head going, whoa, where did this come from? And Russia is also getting involved. So we need to be declaring to people, I know what we could have done. I know what we should have done. I, we should have never been here, but here we are because this is what's happened and we did nothing. So now you need to prepare to get off the grid. Now you need to prepare to vanish. You need to prepare to get out of the way because what is coming is biblical and it is going to be fulfilled. And all your goodwill and emotional ideas and hopes and, and, and dreams for a better day, you need to know that every day you have is the best day you're ever going to have. And it's in Jesus. And you need to live your life to the fullest and appreciate and value everything right now and, and, and learn to walk in the goodness of God because Things are going to change, and it's easy to talk about it, but when it's happened in other societies, uh, there's been a lot of pain. Yeah. How about um, in Austria? Australia. The two pastors were arrested for preaching words that are Oh, no, that's Finland. Oh, so a pastor and a, uh, a Lutheran pastor and a government representative that were arrested for being prosecuted for preaching just the Bible. One had, a, one had a Bible verse, on the, on a, a tweeted a Bible verse, and another, the pastor is just preaching, just, just you know, normal, biblical doctrine, not even attacking, like, you know, LGBTQ, XYZ, whatever. He was he was uh, just preaching about the godly standard for marriage and, and, and sexuality and stuff, which, which, you know, the church has done for over 2,000 years, you know, and... and uh,
Rittenhouse shot three black people, you know, and then he wasn't from Kenosha, Wisconsin, and he was a evil white supremacist. They've got him this absolute insane lies made up about him. And if you watch any part of the trial, you know are not true. Right? But but that is the that's the tactic. And what they're doing is they're working it. It's it's like it's behavioral programming. They're they're propagandizing the public and literally programming them to to view things in a certain way. So when the time is right, they're going to be able to pull any kind of stunt, any kind of false flag event, whether it's a bio attack or, or you know, a World Trade Center kind of a thing or whatever, but they're going to frame Christian white supremacists <laughs> as, as being the ones that did it, you know? And then the time is going to turn up against them. It's going to turn against them. So. so would you call that judgment begins in the house of God? And would yeah. you do you believe that perhaps right now the book of Revelation that we're in that moment where there's a pause in the pangs to a degree while the sealing of the servants of God in their forehead are ready to take place and these winds are about to be released. And it is something when you go back to Ezekiel chapter 9 that shows that this judgment is against Jerusalem. It's against Israel. It's against God's people. Uh, but the only ones that are sealed are those who were signing crying for the abominations. Is it possible that we're about to see global judgment in the church to root out, to separate, to expose, to judge, separate crises, the Church of Jesus Christ globally, people. I think so. That's that's been my inclination. You know, you know, judgment comes first to the house of God, and and um, you know, I think we're seeing it on a certain level. We're seeing it, it's like the crack in the dam when we see people like Robbie Zacharias falling, and there is a tremendous amount of sexual sin in the pulpits the body of Christ, you know, I mean, just a tremendous amount, and there's, there's rumblings about it on social media and whatnot, but I think we're going to get, we're going to see a huge, huge exposure within Protestant Christianity, we've already seen it within, within the Catholic Church, and, and, you know, and a lot of people kind of look down their noses and say, well, see, you know, but, no, but you better look in your own backyard, because it's everywhere, you know, when you see the number of, I'm not sure how they, 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 uh, come up with the numbers, but when they say it's somewhere between 60 and 70 percent of pastors, you know, look at pornography, it is, it's, it's, how does that even work? Yeah. Yeah. How does that even work? I mean, how do you, it, that, that makes no sense. I mean, it, it, if you want to do that, go ahead and do that, but don't be a pastor. Don't lead God's people. I mean, if that's your lifestyle and you want to do those things, Go do them, but why are you doing it under the guise of God? Why are you doing it, um, you know, secret? I mean, that just makes no sense. If you want to be cold, if you want to do it, go do it somewhere else. But it's in the pulpit, and you're right. I think that, I think it's a trap. Like, I think maybe they didn't start out that way, or perhaps some did, but, like, you know, you turn on your computer, and um, it's, you know, and those pop-up ads, I guess. I don't know, they just, we don't have anything like that, but I know many years ago, I would see them, and, and, um, and it just takes one click. And True. It's very, very, very addicting. The pastors, I'm sure, are on their computer, right, and they're seeing, you know, put emails, it's waiting many hours on computers, and, um, you know, so I think they might have fallen into a snare of temptation, and, and, yeah. and then it's too uh, shame to bring it out, you know. Yeah. Yeah. 
So the leader of the evangelical church over in Colorado Springs, I think it was several years ago, um, turned out he's, he's heading 30 million evangelical Christians in this country. He was the head of the whole evangelical corporation. And he's found out going to a massage therapist who's a male having homosexual acts with him, taking crystal methamphetamine. Uh, this is uh, Haggard, I guess his name was. And, you know, it was such a deep disappointment because, you know, people are trying to work this thing out. I can honestly say in 29 years, I may maybe have been flashed with one of those thoughts or images on my computer, but I found a way that doesn't happen by the grace of God. I thank God for that, but that doesn't happen on my computer. And if it does, it's like my brothers say, it's so fast. And if somebody tries to put it in there, it's quick to shut it up, close it, the blood of Jesus, and get that thing washed away. So that has to be intentional. But if it's in your heart and it's what you desire and it's what you want to do, I mean, it could happen. So I spoke out about the Haggard situation. And I had Christians everywhere saying, stop it. You need to cover. You need to cover. Well, that was right on the heels of another man and the whole Christian movement that people by the hundreds of thousands were going to from around the world because he had a a psychic gift. And it was called the anointing. And it was a gift, supposedly, that could tell people what they wanted to hear or what they needed, what he wanted to say. And found out, found out he's an alcoholic committing homosexual acts. And, and the multitudes of God's people are flocking to people and going to conferences, not even knowing the people who are leading these things or what their life is all about and what they're doing. And it's a very, very strange thing. And you just wonder, you know, where's this all heading? It's not my heart. It's just, 
It's so weird. It's not Christianity. And maybe it just needs to be dealt with. Yeah, I, I, I think so. And I think it's such a, because it's we scary. Do need to be careful how we speak about the bride of Christ. You know, and Kathy, well, I don't know. I don't remember what I said the last time we were on, but Kathy kind of got on me afterwards and pointed out the way things might sound, you know, and I'm a, I feel the same way. I, I don't want to. I don't want to malign. You know, God, Jesus' bride. You know, like what Augustine. I think Augustine was the one who said that. That you know, the church is a whore, but she's my mother. <laughs> Ooh, jeez. You know, and, and, and it's it's um, and it's sort of it's it's hard because I it, you know it, it's the difference between you know if you. You're trying to warn somebody, uh, a child maybe not to go play on the on the railroad tracks, you know. And you say, "Hey, Johnny, see those tracks over there? Stay away from those, okay? Because trains come and it's really dangerous. And if you get too close, you know, you meet your close, you get caught on the train and yanked on you, and I don't see you anymore. And I love you, and I wouldn't want I wouldn't want anything to happen to you. But then you've got this, then you've got an entirely different approach if you got a bunch of teenagers who are trying to set up a picnic on the railroad tracks and they're giving you the middle finger when you're telling them a train is coming. You know what do you do? I don't want to offend them, so I got I don't want to be saying anything mean. So, but they're not listening. Well, I'm the kind of person I'm going to go over there, punch them, knock them out, and pull their bodies off the side so they live. <laughs> yeah. You know, and I think I think sometimes we're we're in that that position. I think that's where we're at right now. Is is you know, people that we love and care about, you know, I mean, I love the body of Christ. I love the people that are just like some of the, some of the kindest, well-meaning, nicest people have got the most twisted doctrine I, that you can imagine. They might as well be worshiping Satan, you know? And so, you know, and, and so when I bring the truth to them, a lot of times they don't like it. And if I kitty coat it, they're like, oh, thank you. You know, but if I if I really lay the truth on them, more often than not, the ones that I've done in the past two years, they have kicked me to the curb really, really hard. Yeah. Sorry, it is. Well, it certainly is. And doesn't the Bible actually say that you'll know a tree by its fruit? See, I don't view people, and I'm going to leave the judgment to God in the sense of condemnation, but a spiritual man judges all things. And I think we live in a generation where all Christians were told, don't judge, because as you judge, you'll be judged. But that's not really what Jesus was teaching. He was teaching about condemnation. I'm never going to sentence anybody to eternal damnation. I don't have a right to do that. But I will judge and say, that's not the bride of Christ. That's not the church of Jesus Christ. Now, you may be a carnal babe in Christ, but you need to start growing up. You need to learn to take up your cross. You need to learn to put off. You need to stop doing certain things that I know with babies. There's a lot of room. But when you're in leadership position and you're leading 30 million people or you've got hundreds of thousands of people flocking to your your meetings and you know better, you can't tell me that's the bride of Christ. And you mean, you will know a tree by its fruit. And anybody that says, well, you're, you're judging. You know, I, I got so tired of hearing that because they were trying to make me feel bad about speaking the truth in a situation that needed to hear truth. Because everybody else was like, no, 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 it's okay. Let's coddle this and cover it. it. No, it was exposed for a reason. It was exposed for a reason. And it didn't justify anybody, myself or anybody else. What people did was look at it and say, you're putting Christ to shame. 
You're putting Jesus. I would rather be dead. I would like to walk off the set and die than to put Jesus to shame. I don't want to do that. I don't want that to happen in my life. I don't want that to be a part of it. And and then people in the church actually say, well, you're going to get yours for talking the way you do. And it's like, you're not understanding here. We are broken over the condition of our churches, right? Over the ecclesia. And I think that's right. I think it's okay to feel like, man, where's the true church? What is church anymore? And I think people are confused. But anyways, that's me. You know, and I think, you know, that that's part of what we feel. It's like I used to get so mad that people were misrepresenting my God, my Jesus. Yeah. You know, and I would like, and then, uh, you know, the judgment, God will, is the final judge, yes. But still, like, you know, we are to have discernment. That's what the Holy Spirit's all about. I mean, partly, it's like we walk with him and he's the spirit of truth. Yeah. Right? You know, and instead, you know, uh, Tree. tree by the fruit. Yeah. It's, um, I, you know, I, the other thing is like, it's such a, it's a, uh, what do you call it, a counterfeit love. You know, people have, like, the, the fear of man is what's happened in the body of Christ more so than the fear of God. Because, like, what you're experiencing, you know, a lot of persecution because you are trying to expose or to, yeah, expose and review. Like, Brian is, since we're having this conversation, um, my issue is I came out of such brokenness, okay? I came out of things that I haven't even spoken. I don't even know that man. I'll be honest with you. I have no idea who that young man was, me, in my past. I, I mean, I, don't, I can't recognize him. And I came out of such brokenness. And what I've always looked for in my life, and I don't know why, but I've always looked in the center of my being, being rejected, abandoned by my father, growing up without a father, all these things. I've always looked for that leadership. And I thank God when I was born again that the one man in my life was my pastor, R. Paul Carroll, who was apostolic in every way. His leadership meant everything to me. But everywhere I turned around and looked at the people that were at the top, whether it was Jimmy Swaggart. I remember what happened with Jimmy Swaggart. I went, I caved in. I'm like, oh, my God, is anybody ever going to get to the top and not fail? I mean, is there any leadership? And, you know, I, I became, in, in my issue was, I, if you're a leader, then I expect of you to lead properly. I expect you to have moral conduct and moral character. I expect you not to watch pornography, commit adultery, or do these things. I expect that. I'm not talking about, man, I was so sincere in my heart and I missed it. Okay, great. Well, get back up and let's go forward. But people that do things, and the only time you hear about it is when they get caught, rather than them talking about it to somebody. So I got frustrated and scared, quite frankly. Where's the leadership? We see in our own government, there's no real leadership. Everybody was on the blacklist for the, you know, the things that were going on in D.C. Everybody was going to uh, pedophile island with Jeffrey Epstein, and everybody was committing acts. Not everybody, but you know what I mean. And it's like, 
you should be held accountable. And I don't know, maybe it is kind of a weird issue. Maybe we shouldn't just expect anything from anybody and keep our eyes on Jesus in the days in which we live.
David and Saul, you know, where David, you know, went and cut, cut out his robe, you know, and said, God has delivered you into my hand, you know, but, but no, you know, I'm not going to touch, touch wisdom. Yeah, that's good yeah, wisdom. To, you know, and it's one, because I'm being obedient to God by not doing that, but two, because I will destroy my own soul if I allow myself to become that's right. like those other people and attack, you know. That's right. And so that's just that just represents it's a profound danger area because it's like Kathy is probably the only person who knows how much I struggle, you know. And days I would wake up and so angry, you know. It's like mm-hmm. the, the Bible says, "Be angry, but do not sin." And there are just there are days when I just it's only by the grace of God that I did it, you know, that I didn't. Yeah, yeah, that's an amazing story, and we could take that a little bit deeper. Um, what I feel like what we're talking about right now is relationship. I had a different experience. My pastor, if he were still alive, it was a it's an eternal relationship. I would be with him right now. I would even if I was pastoring, I would have him as a father in the spirit. I would forever be subjected and submitted, maybe coming shoulder to shoulder, but I would always remember this was the man that brought Christ to me by his conduct, by his actions. He wasn't that great of a preacher, quite frankly. I mean, Paul was not a great preacher, but man, he would stand up, he'd have seven pages of notes, and inevitably those notes were going in the trash. By discernment, he would speak to the body, and he, he was the kind of pastor that you were there. I mean, you could be in his kitchen, and, and while Patricia was sweeping the floors, Paul would be there, and, and you'd be talking and playing golf and going to a restaurant. He was touchable. So this is relationship. And I sense, and, and this is kind of a, this is a frustration for me personally. I know I'm the least qualified person in the world to be doing what I'm doing. I mean, I am so zero qualified. I've been to seven high schools. I never graduated. 15 different elementary schools. I dropped out of high school. I got a GED. I mean, I am the least qualified person to be doing what I've been doing for 29 years. And yet the elders, when Pastor Paul passed away, Vincent, you're in. And I'm like, whoa, these shoes are this big. My feet are this big. What what am I doing? I don't know what I'm doing. I don't have, I can't honestly say that I've got the moral qualification, the conductual characteristic qualification. I'm not qualified to do anything. Basically married Patricia and hung on for dear life. And have been walking through this, but here's the frustration. Regardless, God brought me to a place of having governmental authority in the body of Christ, which simply means I'm supposed to be like my pastor. I'll never get above your knees, but I do have authority. And I don't walk around going, I've got authority. That's never been my heart. I just know that I'm called by God. And if I fear men, then I'm in trouble with God. So I have to maintain the calling on my life because God wants me to. And so what I found in ministry outside of Pastor Paul, 98% of the relationships that I've had with other people in the body of Christ, including pastors or people that, you know, we get in a relationship, they never lasted. They don't work. There's always this jockeying for position. There's always this jockeying for who's who. And I'm like, well, you know, you don't have to jockey with me. I know that I'm not qualified to do anything, but God did put me here. So you need to respect and honor what God is doing in my life. And, you know, I am standing my ground. I'm not doing a lot of stuff that's been done out there. You may not like my personality because God made me a spearhead 
I mean, he just absolutely downloaded. I am a spearhead and I fight dragons. And, you know, you may not like that, but I love you. I care about you. I don't even want to go to your house and fight your dragons, but I do because of what's in me. And, you know, if we can't get along under those conditions, I get it. But there's always this thing going on. And now God is calling into apostolic ministry. And I don't even want to go there because I don't know how people think about it, but I know that there is an apostolic anointing that is an operation in my life. I know it. I know it by the grace of God. I've been told it. I don't proclaim it, but I know there's an anointing there to, for whatever reason. So what do I do with that? I go, I'm not qualified for that. I have no personal qualification, but God's doing it. So I am what I am by the grace of God. And I don't know how people respond to that. I, but it's, a, it's an idea of what I, right now, I just want relationship. I want relationship with men and women who understand what's the direction, where, where we're going, and respect one another and value one another and respect and honor the calling of God on each other's lives. Not anybody puffed up saying, I am. Because I know that's not the case, but we have to stand in what God has called us to do. So do I need a psychologist? Maybe I need to lay down on a couch. Talk to me. Absolutely amazing. Yeah, yeah. My God. And so jealousy, envy, and pride, you know, people that probably are more qualified because they've been to seminary or more qualified because they grew up in a better home. All of a sudden, God's raising up people that are totally disqualified and yet have his heart. 
And I think the only thing that God, you know, that, that, that matters is that God looks at people's hearts and says, I think your heart can serve a purpose here. I think you honor me enough, you fear me enough, and you love me enough that I could do some things through you. And I think it provokes anyways. Yeah, amen. Wow. Wow. shaking right now. You know, I, I, that's, the, that's the first time I ever released what I've been feeling in my spirit and unwilling to contend with anybody about everything. I just left it to God. It's the first time I ever expressed my heart. And I'm shaking over it because the idea of thinking a smidgen of elevating myself into a position, uh, it terrifies the living daylights out of me. I like to get off. I like to go live the abundant life that God's given me. I don't even know how I got here. I don't know how God did everything that he did. I don't understand how good God is in my life, but he is, and he's my father, and I, I'm blown away. If I stop thinking about it, if I start thinking, I can't believe how good God is to me. I cannot imagine what he has done in my life. Giving me this woman, number one, to be at my side, to walk through my life is absolutely amazing. I mean, she is the anchor of my life, and God gave her to me. And then to think that the blessing that has been flowing into my life and thinking about the things that God has done and what the gifting, that I mean, it's terrifying. And to think for one second that this has something to do with my abilities, that this has something to do with my it's terrifying. It's just something that God's doing. And I'll tell you the truth. We need it. The church right now is so out of joint and so out of alignment, it needs to be rejointed and realigned. And so God has to do something, right? Anyways, you guys are awesome. I'm so glad I'm talking to you. Oh, we're so glad. Yeah, we totally bear witness with everything that you said. You're going to be sitting at our table one day. I don't know when. We're going to have spaghetti. Patricia's going to make the spaghetti, and uh, we're going to be we're going to be talking. Okay, are you a cook? Ah. All right, that's a challenge right there. All right, you. <laughs> it's good pride, right? It's it's the real deal. It's confidence. Yeah, some people misunderstand confidence for pride. So uh, in, our, in our final moments here, I see a couple of people making comments. I see our brother Jeff Bass, Pastor Jeff is on. I just want to see what he's saying right now. Keep looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Pastor, I feel your heart. However, this scripture keeps me focused. Stop trusting in mere humans who have but a breath in their nostrils. Why hold them in esteem? Isaiah 2.22. And he said, for years I sought a spiritual father and a few who came into my life hurt me and were flawed. I understand. Jesus was there, showed me love, and reminded me that he'd never leave me nor forsake me. So it's me and him. And Jeff Bass, Pastor Jeff, went on to say, hey, man, I love your passion and your heart for Christ and his people. What an awesome and transparent teaching today. We need to have more open and honest conversations. And then he left us with Ephesians 4.25 says, therefore, having put away falsehood, 
Let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. I'm getting calls all of a sudden from France. I get calls from France, Russia, who knows what's going on. And then uh, Cindy said, Pastor Vincent Xavier, I thank God for your pastoring. Mark and I are so grateful that the Lord took us out of California, brought to New Wine Ministries. We're thankful and grateful for that, too. Uh, can't, and they said, cannot wait to meet Brian and Kathy. Amen. And then, Pastor Jeff, I'm standing with you, brother, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. All right, so real stuff going on in our society. Everybody's waiting. Tomorrow's Thanksgiving, and we have so much to be thankful for in spite of what's going on in the world. Can you just kind of release a pastoral friendship uh, blessing uh, to the body of Christ for Thanksgiving, uh, Brian and Kathy. <laughs> yeah, Lord, we just we just thank you, Lord God. We thank you, Jesus. We thank you that you are who you are, Lord God. We thank you that you're the way and the truth and the life, and there is no other way, no way to the Father except for you, Lord God. And Lord, we we thank you that that you made yourself known to us, and that, that we have the opportunity to be known by you. And Lord, we know that there are hard, hard times coming ahead. We know that it's only through, tri- through much tribulation that anyone enters the kingdom of God, Lord. Lord, we thank you for the family that we have today. We thank you for the food that we have today. We thank you that we have shelter, Lord God, a roof over our head. There's so many people, Lord, that don't even have that. Lord, we thank you that we have the opportunity, if people have the opportunity to eat turkey and meat, Lord God, that we, we thank you for that because those days may be short, Lord God. We thank you for fellowship, Lord God. And we thank we pray, Lord God, that we would we would grow together in both knowledge and mind, Lord God, the unity of knowledge and mind. That you would make things more clear. And it's a puppy. No, we're in agreement with the prayer. It's good. It's good. Is that a dog? Is that your dog? Yeah. Well, aren't you going to show us puppy? Yeah. Hey, there he is. Hey, buddy. He just wants to kiss daddy. That's all. Oh, he's beautiful. She is. Yeah. Good. Well, she got up there. They're always at our feet. Isn't that amazing? And when you're at the feet, you get stepped on once in a while. Bummer. No, oh, jeez. Yeah, I've seen her in the pictures. Even behind me, I think she's in the picture. On there, she is right there. She's actually a she's actually a prophetic dog. Just real quick. So, Kathy, for for I don't know about a year before we went on the mission field, everywhere she went, she would see butterflies, 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 butterflies. It was just ridiculous how many butterflies she would encounter on a daily basis. And she's finally she's just like, what is? What are, is there a biblical symbology for butterfly or whatever? And I don't know if it was biblical, but the whole thing was that, that butterflies are representative of transformation. You know, they come out of the air caterpillar yeah. and they go into cocoon and they come yeah. So there are butterflies everywhere. So when we when we first got here, we didn't know what to name her. And so there were these little kids around the village. And so this this one girl came to our house one day and we're just like, oh, they asked what her name was. She said, oh, I don't know. I, I said, no, I've got no name. You know, and they laugh. And I said, well, what should her name be? And the first girl said, Mariposa, which means butterfly. Wow. So we were like, she's half Rottweiler, you know. That's kind of weird. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I don't, I, don't, I don't imagine my dog being named Butterfly. You know? 
never seen him before. And there was a little girl with him. And the little girl asked, what's your name? And we're like, well, she doesn't have a name. Well, do you have any ideas? Well, should we name her? She looks at her. She goes, Mariposa. We're like, oh, okay. Wow. And then, and then it was about a week later, we had a, uh, we, we used to have a uh, children's uh, Bible study activity day every week that our old house before it got destroyed. And um, this girl we hadn't seen before came and, and, you know, I was talking with her. She was about maybe five or six years old. And I just said, you know, she said, what is her name? And same drill. Um, well, we don't really have a name. What should we name her? She goes, mm, Mariposa. Wow. <laughs> like, wow, that is prophetic. <laughs> Always. Right. The prophetic thing is, is that we've been transformed here. This, this wilderness that we've been in has been like a cocoon for us, you know, and so we're, we're, we're coming out. And when you gave that prophetic word that night, when you turned around and looked at the camera who we were on, and said, Brian and Kathy, uh, God's going to call you out of there. It's like, I think that's, that's what it is. And so now it's hummingbirds. We had a hummingbird come in and they've been flying everywhere. We had one fly. If you saw how hard it is to get into where we're sitting right now, we had a hummingbird fly into the house, come, flew over to me, looked at me, and then flew over to Kathy, looked at her, and then flew out again. So I don't know what that means. But. We're going to find out. <laughs> We're going to find out what was the message. He sent ravens, now now hummingbirds. Yeah, I think he's saying, start humming, because your time of exodus is at hand. Here we go. Um, hey, we love you guys, and we appreciate you so much. And, you know, I was just thinking about that first Thanksgiving, what was originally intended, where people just got together and said, thank you. You brought us through some brutal stuff. And yet we're going to give thanks to God for, for where we are and what we have. And uh, we need to do the same and give thanks to God for everything. And we will. And we will. Brian and Kathy, God bless you both. God bless you guys. Have a wonderful Thanksgiving. And we'll be seeing you real soon. Okay. Happy Thanksgiving. Be, in, be of good cheer and be encouraged. Enjoy the day. God bless you. All right, that's it for today. We're going to say goodbye. Hey, it is Thanksgiving. I want to ask the Lord to bless all of you that have been tuned into this broadcast, that your day tomorrow will be simple, enjoyable, and know that everything you have has come from God. It's all his. It's all his. And for every good thing that God has ever done in your life, because every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of lights, give thanks to God for it. Thank him out loud. Thank him in your heart. Let thanksgiving be your strength. Thank him for the trials. Thank him for the tough days. Thank him for all the stuff you've been through. Thank God for it all. And bless his name forever. We'll see you on Tuesday. We'll see you on Tuesday. We'll be gone the rest of this week. We're not going anywhere. We're just going to see La. And we'll see how the world's doing five days from now. Okay? So be super blessed. God's love and blessing towards you. And remember, God is good all the time. Shalom.
With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.